0: All right, we'll turn back to Romans 14 tonight. And again, I switched the series as as I can as I started this last week and realized uh, first of all I was very um, heartened to get a lot of feedback. Not that you folks don't track with all of the preaching, but I could tell this was really um causing you to think, and you had a lot of comments afterwards, and I realize I'm also using a lot of illustrations and examples for issues of conscience, and that's important because it is a broad category, and us thinking through what are these issues of conscience are very important, and so it just seemed like it was all kind of developing, that it was more appropriate to um, have this series in Sunday evening, where a little more of a Bible study focus and then the Gospel of John in the morning in more of a worshipful sense, especially as we approach the sacrifice of our, our dear Savior on the cross. So I think this is good, and the Lord's led us to this. The whole, the title of this series is The Spirit-Guided Conscience. Again, always let your conscience be your guide is not necessarily the best adage to follow unless it's guided by the Spirit, and then we're in good stead, and then we're safe. And that really is the whole focus of this, is that we are operating, understanding the importance of conscience, not ignoring conscience, but making sure it's, again, if I can use this word, calibrated correctly by submitting it to the Holy Spirit. And I hope then that we've seen so far, even last week, the conscience is a very important gift that God has given to us. But again, it's many times misunderstood cultural norms, cultural um, illustrations that just aren't helpful. Again, the the angel on the one side, the demon on the other, and trying to get you to do what's right, and the demon trying to get you to do what's wrong. And in the end, I remember watching a cartoon one time where the angel got angry at the demon and went over and beat him up. And I'm like, you know, that just doesn't seem very biblical <laughs> in a right response at all. <laughs> This is not a good example. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we get those in our heads and we think, oh, it's my conscience. You know, it's always battling that little horned demon. No, we need to understand what the Bible says about what our conscience is. And it really is a vital part of our being that we have to understand and we have to reckon with. We can't ignore it. And Paul is clear in Scripture, and Scripture is clear. We can't ignore our conscience. What is our conscience It is, um, it's the sense of what you believe is right or wrong. And that belief of what's right or wrong for the believer needs to be guided by the spirit. But even with those who have rejected Christ, it's what they believe is right and wrong. We all have a conscience. We all have that gauge. But those that have trusted in Christ can have an accurate gauge. Just just a little bit of background here as far as even how the Lord brought this to mind as far as what we're studying. Uh, My wife, probably no surprise to you, as she's doing chores and things in the evening, many times she listens to podcasts or sermons being preached and things. And she was listening to a sermon by a um, seminary professor of ours. And I started listening and she mentioned, you know, this is really good what he's saying about the conscience. Like, Oh, okay, well, I'll sit down and listen to this for a minute. And I was intrigued and listening further. And it, it was, it was, he was bringing up things that in, in this passage in Romans 14, that I thought, yeah, I've got a decent understanding of how that works and realized, you know, these are things I've never considered before. And all of a sudden realizing this is an area that I really need in my own life to commit more thought and study to. Um, There is a book. uh, I left it over here. You know, I'm just going to go get it real quick. And again, this isn't scripture. So I'm not treating it as that. But uh, the Lord put a book across my path written by a young man who was in seminary with me at Bob Jones University, Andy Nacelli. Um, and he's gone on to broader evangelical circles now, but he wrote with a missionary uh, book called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. Um, there was a lot of helpful things in this that also I had not considered before. Again, uh, and it'd be the type of thing that I would certainly recommend, uh, a Bible study, and uh, maybe the Lord would give us opportunity if the Lord uh, would draw you to this book, that we could study it together um, These things kind of just started drawing my mind to this topic and realizing I need to study this out more. And I have been impressed upon my heart that this is a very important topic that is very misunderstood and that our folks need to understand. The church needs to understand. Now, we looked at the biblical data of conscience, just some of it last week. And we saw that it leads us to two important principles of the conscience. The number one thing is God is Lord over the conscience, and he gets to tell our conscience what it needs to be sensitive about and what it doesn't, and we're going to see that today. But then the second one is that our conscience does need to be obeyed. It can't be ignored. Uh, We can uh, fall into disaster, and um, it can do a lot of damage when we ignore our conscience. So last week, as we got into Romans chapter 14, we discussed our responses to other people's conscience choices, and how we relate to them, and um, the strong, and how the strong should relate to the weak, how the weak should relate to the strong, and uh, afterwards, a number of you came up and, and made some points. I'd just like to throw something out. I'm going to make some more clarifications in this message as well. Somebody mentioned as we were working through this, um, Pastor Brock, you mentioned a couple issues that were kind of conservative versus, I don't want to say liberal because that sounds like politics, conservative versus more broader evangelical. Um, could you clarify that conservative a conservative viewpoint isn't always um, the weak and the more evangelical viewpoint isn't always a strong, well, certainly that is the case. And I didn't mean to imply that in any respect. Um, it's not those that are always of the conservative bent when, or, when they see something um, that, they're, that morally they understand we need to adhere to, um, that they're always the weak person. And that's not the case. Many times, many times the strong person in, in the discussion is those um, that adhere more strictly to God's word. And folks, really, um, if you think about it, every believer has legalistic tendencies, regardless of whether they consider themselves more conservative or more broadly evangelical. We all have issues in our lives that we tend to be a little bit more legalistic, that we're tempted to be legalistic in, even in those who like to throw that name out to other people, they, they need to search their own lives because they can be legalistic in some ways too, just not in the ways that they think, um, or just in, in as, as far as uh, when they throw out the term legalism, they're blinded to their own. We can all have that tendency. So just some clarifications here as we continue to work through this, Well, we were responding, um, We we were talking last week about our responses to others. The strong tends to despise the weak. Oh, you legalists, why do you hold those strong convictions? The weak tends to judge the strong and say, and they usually use the the term worldly. Well, you're just worldly. You just follow the world. Um, And so we need to make sure in these issues of conscience, that we have the right response towards each other. But now we're going to get into um, probably, this is the overarching principle in this whole passage and one that we must understand. This is the most important thing that Paul will state in this whole argument. And he's going to point out tonight as we get ready in in verse 5 of chapter 14, that rather than looking on the choices of others, We need to start with ourselves, and we need to examine the choices that we are making. One of the principles that we've stated here is that everyone differs in one way or another in their conscience sensitivities. We all have different sensitivities in this way, different ways that the Spirit leads us. Again, not in gospel issues. We all need to be unified in the gospel. No argument there. That's, that's whether we're a believer or not. And also in moral issues, those actions and attitudes that the Bible clearly states as sin, and that would include biblical conclusions, issues that may not be explicitly stated as sin, but biblical evidence and principles make it clear, no, this is, this is wrong. And we gave illustrations of abortion, slavery, bigamy. There could be many others. Um, we also as a church, believe that worldly music is a problem in, in the worship service and other things. We mentioned these things. There are denominational issues. I mentioned two of them, speaking in tongues and infant baptism. Not that there aren't good people. Let me clarify that as well. There aren't That there aren't good people that do believe those. There are people that share um, the love of Christ and that give the gospel in Pentecostal churches. And in churches like some uh, conservative Presbyterian churches who hold to some sort of infant baptism, there will be clear on those denominational issues. They may keep us from being able to be unified in a church body together, and we just need to understand that as well. But we are talking about issues of conscience, perception issues, disputable issues, and these are ones that... God intends for us to make sure that we have made these choices with the affirmation of Christ in our lives. We're all subject to this principle that we're looking at in Romans 14, 5 through 12. And so let's read this together and then we'll comment further. We're just going to read verses 5 through 9. And the title of this message tonight is A Fully Convinced Conscience. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Lord, thank you for the interest in this theme, this topic. And thank you for leading me to study this and to consider further the truths of your word. And for your emphasis in my life about the importance of making sure that I have an accurate, calibrated conscience that is guided by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that is my desire for everyone at this church that we may be able to experience a wonderful unity, even that Jesus emphasized this morning about his disciples. That we would have that unity and that we would learn even with each of us having combinations of different conscience sensitivities that we would still um, learn the truths of being able to fellowship and worship together in unity to be a proper example of Christ to the world and to be effective in our mission of proclaiming the gospel. So help us to understand these truths and go from here ready to further calibrate our conscience into what would honor you in every aspect of our lives. and this, we need your help, and we ask for it in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to see, first of all, in these first two verses, five through six, a fully convinced conscience. We must be fully convinced in all of these conscience issues that we are honoring God. Paul makes that clear. Our conscience should be fully convinced before God. And now Paul again is switching focus to a responsibility that every believer has to examine their own choices, their own lives. We've turned from examining the weak and the strong and looking inward now and saying, wait a minute, are my choices pleasing to God? And our consciences ought to be um, affirming that that is the case. Paul uses an illustration here. He switches illustrations and talks about celebrating and emphasizing special days, which I should point out is a neutral thing. It's neither right nor wrong in this respect. Let's read this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. He's referring to some sort of special recognition of days, probably holy days, um, that can highlight honor of God, and a lot of um, scholars look at this and automatically think that this is a Sabbath issue, and again, they go back to that Jewish-Gentile-Christian thing, um, where they look at the background here, saying, well, Paul is talking about this um, confusion or this debate between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Um, first of all, whether they can eat meat or not, and we talked about that last week, that Paul is really has a broader focus than merely a Jewish Gentile Christian dispute. Although somebody did ask me again last week, they said, well, is, is that not legitimate then? Was that not going on at that time? And certainly there there is a good evidence to support the fact that there was contention between Jewish and Gentile Christians about um, what they ate and about the Sabbath. And that is a good example. And I think Paul may have had that in mind as one example of this. But really, folks, Paul is being much more broad than just a Jewish-Gentile-Christian dispute. And that's good because we would tend to think, oh, that was just an issue they dealt with back then. That doesn't apply to us today. No, Paul's broad enough to make us understand today there are all kinds of issues that we have problems with today that we need to deal with. And so when he talks in verse 5 about this one day better than another, the Sabbath um, contention, where one person would say that uh, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, That should be treated just like the Jews treated it back in the Old Testament. No work. Prepare everything ahead of time. Make sure on the Lord's day that you don't do anything that's considered work. Make sure that you rest. Whereas other believers, Gentile believers might say, you know, uh, as long as I'm honoring God and worshiping, worshiping him, it's okay for me to do some work on that day. I don't have any conviction or conscience about that at all. That was a dispute at this time. Paul probably had that in mind, but I think Paul is broader in his scope here than just that one issue. Does that make sense? So he's saying here, when it comes to this issue of esteeming one day better than another, he really seems to be focused on here upon one day where people highlight honoring God, whereas others treat every day as an opportunity to honor christ well which one's right which one's wrong in this illustration neither it's neutral but at the same time paul says but you believer must make a choice you must decide what god how god wants you to handle this issue of esteeming days of these special days and you must make a choice he is referencing broadly more than this example. Does this have application for us today? Well, it does. We talked about this last week. We gave some examples. I have some more. Um, back to that Christian Sabbath example. There is a Christian lady who has written a number of books that Leslie and I have found helpful. She uh, came from a background out of a lesbian um, background. Uh, She had some neighbors that were witnessing to her and uh, inviting her into their home and were studying God's word with her. Long story short, she saw her need for Christ and got saved. Um, And she eventually married a pastor. He is a reformed pastor, I believe of, of a Presbyterian stripe. But she has some wonderful examples and the Lord has led them into a very effective gospel ministry within their own neighborhood. Wonderful um, testimony. And I would I'll let you know the book if you're interested. We can let you know about the book afterwards. But one thing that's very important to her and her husband, they do believe in a Christian Sabbath. She will prepare all of her food the night before and make sure that everything is ready so that when they come to the Lord's day, that Sunday, that there is no work done. And that they can say in their consciences that they are resting. That issue still comes up today. And that's just one example. In their conscience, God has led them to this. And so others, many of us here probably, although I don't know for certain, would say, you know what? That's I understand where they would come from on that. But I have the conscience, the freedom to be able to do other things on the Sabbath. Uh, on on the Lord's day, maybe I wouldn't even refer to it as the as the Sabbath, and I know that it's important to worship God, and I do that as a church family and i do take maybe even i take a nap or whatever, but I, I shoveled snow this morning have i have i um brought condemnation on myself for doing some work on the lord's day? Well no I don't have a conscience for that, but is either one wrong or right no It's a neutral issue. You could do either one and be right or wrong. But you need to make sure. Here is the catch. Look at the end of verse 5. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Well, how do I do that? And this, this whole framework here is referring to the conscience, being fully convinced in his own mind, even though the word conscience isn't mentioned here. We will eventually get to a parallel passage in first Corinthians that does talk about the conscience. Paul is making it clear here as well. He's really referring to the conscience. Each one needs to be fully convinced in their conscience, either to esteem days one more than the other, or to treat them all alike. I'll give you some more illustrations here. Just, just so we can think through this. There are other uh, days that, that people have trouble with and end uh, have convictions of, we talked about this already, but Christmas, some don't believe in celebrating Christmas. Um, And that's their conviction. There are some, I mentioned this last week when it comes to Easter, they don't even like the word Easter because Easter refers to has pagan origins um, and has uh, pagan uh, connections. And so there are folks that refer to Easter as resurrection day and maybe some of you have done that as well. The very word Easter, they have a conscience against. Some folks um, look at the whole thing about the Easter bunny and the candy and the baskets as not being respectful of a day in which we should celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And they don't do that for their kids. All kinds of issues. We could go on and on. Think of another day that's definitely not a holy day. I'll be careful here. Do you allow your kids to get involved in? Halloween. It's a day that our our society exalts and celebrates, and we certainly don't celebrate those things. We certainly, as a church family, would not celebrate or lift up those worldly, really demonic connections to Halloween, but how does that play out in your conscience? Does that mean there, there? I'm sure there are those in this church, even in our church, some would say, you know what, uh, we, we didn't um, agree with the philosophy of Halloween, but for witness in our neighborhood, we allowed our kids to go out in costumes and get candy, and we gave candy out to other kids to be a testimony and witness to interact with our community, and our consciences were free to do that. fine. There are others that say, no, there's too much worldly influence with that, that I can't abide by. I want my kids uh, to understand that. So we don't do that. I'll tell you where we come down on that when it comes to this day. We have carefully and slowly kind of, we've cautiously made decisions on this, um, that for uh, a um, ministry in our neighborhood, we will be willing to give out candy at the door so that we can meet our neighbors and meet other other kids and interact with them and this last year we even as the kid as our boys were giving out the candy we let them put on a costume there while they were doing that Uh, but we're still being very careful about letting our community think that we somehow embrace all of halloween we had a house across the way that had Dozens of Halloween decorations up. It was um, no Christmas decorations, by the way, at Christmas time. But dozens of Halloween, huge ones. And our, folks in our conscience, we could not do that. We could not be involved in that because that would show too much um, excitement and association with a hol- with a holiday that we have great concerns about. But you have these conscience issues, right? Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Our conscience should be fully convinced before God that we can do that particular activity or be involved in that. But our actions also should be fully honoring to God. Verse six, the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Here is the key about being fully convinced in one's own mind, that illustration about the days. If one observes a particular day, then he needs to do it in honor of the Lord. He needs to make sure in his own conscience that he can do that, and it's pleasing to God. The one, and then he goes back to that illustration, but notice how he keeps it more general now. He doesn't talk about meat versus vegetables, but he keeps it more general. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And this is the first reference we have, by the way, to the New Testament church giving thanks for their meals right here. While the one who abstains, and again, general, we don't know what they're abstaining from, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Each one is convinced that whether they don't eat something in particular or they do eat something, that they're pleasing God, honoring God while they're doing it. And different people can have different sensitivities and God can lead them a different way in these issues. That's the amazing part about it. Now, the point here is the question is not ultimately, do I like it? But the question is, is God pleased with it? That's the exact opposite of the culture, right? Culture says, whatever I like, I'm going to do it. And that kind of seeps into Christianity sometimes. And folks, that is a dangerous um, concept and um, idea to pursue because Paul makes it clear. God's word makes it clear. That it's not about what I like, but it's what God is pleased with. And so in our conscience, we need to be fully convinced that everything, everything, yeah, everything that we do is pleasing and honoring to the Lord. How do we do that? Well, folks, it takes time, it takes meditation on God's word and consideration of every area of our lives. And it's a process that's going to continue throughout our lives. But here's the thing we're not going to be perfect at this till we get to heaven. But this is a process that we shouldn't be avoiding. Everything that we do, we need to be willing to ask the Lord Lord, do you want me to do this? Are you pleased with this? And in these areas of conscience, we're, each of us are going to get different answers, depending on how the Holy Spirit is working within us. But we have to be convinced that God is pleased when we do these things, regardless of what they are. Now, I want to make a clarification here as well. This actually would have been a good point to use an illustration that I used last week. And I don't want to be misunderstood. Um, and uh, it was about, remember the illustration I gave last week about somebody coming up to me and making a joke about those that eat that are vegan and look at different things in a different way. Now, remember, I'm using illustrations, not thinking that anybody in our congregation um, has a tendency toward that one way or another. And I actually, there was somebody that, that came up and mentioned that at times they follow a vegan diet for their health. And uh, I, I, Actually, they were very gracious in what they said. They said, Actually, Pastor Brock, I'd like to hear that joke if somebody came up and told you that. I'm like, Well, that's a very gracious response. <laughs> but I do need to clarify this. That was not an illustration of strong versus weak. What I was doing in that was just using illustration that folks in our culture today, we have people that are, eat in different ways, and we need to respect that. And another thing, too. Just so you're clear, this is a common misconception. Being vegan does not mean that you just eat vegetables. We all know that. If you're vegan, you eat a lot of protein as well. And I wasn't trying to make that connection. And I also wasn't trying to make a connection here that those that eat vegan at times are the weak Christian. That was not at all. As I was thinking through this afterwards and on the way home, I wanted to make sure that I clarified these things. Okay, But actually, this is a great illustration of what Paul is talking about here. If I decide to follow a vegan lifestyle, there and, and I pursue it, and I think about it, and I pray about it, and God may lead me to do that, fully informed in my conscience, there are some that have to eat certain things because of their health, and because of medical issues, or because they think that's best. And this issue is actually somebody that's informed and has decided this will honor God in the right way. Great. There are others that say, you know, I don't think I need to be uh, follow that, that vegan or another um, meal plan or a particular uh, nutritional plan. And I can honor God in my life in that way. Wonderful. Both are right. There's not a right or wrong here but both need to be fully convinced that it's what God has for them. Does that make sense? All right, let's continue on here with the rest of this. I wanted to give some more issues here. I'm gonna to have to, and I may have to just come back next week because I think these are important. This is why I put this in for a Sunday evening because I knew that we'd have to go through some more issues here and work through some things. But some other examples that are I think are very practical when it comes to this issue? What are some other issues where people can pray about something and God can lead them in a different direction, even within our church than someone else? I thought of these. This was um, this was not one that I came up with. This is one that I've heard done before, but it was very helpful. You all have probably heard of um, the ministry of, of Dave Ramsey the financial guru, right? Um, My family has been very helped by his principles and we have followed those in one form or another. And you know, if you know anything about Dave Ramsey, you know how he feels about credit card debt and also maybe car debt or getting in debt for things. And we we have benefited greatly from his example of being careful of that but here's where it can go overboard. I can be, follow those principles so closely and so religiously that if I see somebody that does have a credit card, even in our church, I might be tempted to judge them. Whoa, don't they know what Dave Ramsey says? You shouldn't be using a credit card. You have no business using, being in any debt at all. Or somebody that tells me as we're talking, oh, well, I, I've been working off a car payment. Oh, you sinner. Don't you know you're not supposed to be in debt? Now, there is an issue that you can't go to God's word and find where it says I shouldn't maintain a credit card or get involved in car debt. That is an issue that must be worked out in your conscience by praying about it and asking, Lord, what would have you, you would have me to do. And people can come down on different sides of that and still be guided by their conscience in the spirit. Does that make sense? That's just one. Thought of another one. We all would agree our concern about the issue of, of homosexuality, LGBT issues and the prominence of that in our culture and how that's being forced upon us and God's word clearly tells us what that moral issue is that God intended for a man and a woman to be together for a lifetime that was his intention in creation we all understand that but people can make different applications of that in their sensitivity here's one. I know some folks that have said we can't vacation to certain areas like Disney World because Disney World promotes worldly values like LGBT issues so much. And it's so um, flagrant and obvious that we can't support giving our money to Disney any longer. And so they won't take their family to Disney World. There are others that say, you know, I'm totally um, submitted to what God has to say in his word um, about homosexuality and lesbianism, but I don't have a conscience. I could take my grandkids or my kids to Disney World, and that doesn't bother my conscience. Fine. Either way, just make sure that you're submitted to God in your conscience. Attendance at movies is another one. I remember growing up in my church. It was a spiritual leader who was very adamant he would never take his family to a movie theater. But the point is there are those that can attend movies and it doesn't affect their conscience. And there are others that say, I can't do that. And there are some that even say, I can't even watch TV. There's just too much filth and there's too much um, temptation and we're not going to own a TV. And that's not, there are... um, good reasons for either one. Each of us have to be convinced. I threw another one here. Attending major league sporting events. After all the politics of the past couple years, there's been a number of people that said, I'm never going to a major league game again. They just, I'm just done with politics. And in their conscience, they couldn't go to an NFL football game or a major league baseball game. And others said, you know, that's still okay with me to do. You see how we have a wide variety of conscience issues here that we have to ask for the Spirit's guidance and that we can still come to different conclusions on and still be in unity together. I'm going to throw one more at you here before we go on. And I'm going to dare to tread here where maybe even some pastors wouldn't dare. But it's because, and this is one that may go across that line. Uh, that I I made for myself earlier about an issue that I'm pretty sure doesn't affect our church family, because this one affects everybody in every church right now. It's a major issue in our culture today. I don't know if you can guess what that is, but I think it really does apply to this right now. It's a whole issue about COVID and medications. Okay. Okay. And it has been so controversial that we've had to say as leadership here and as a church family, we're not even going to discuss this at our church because there are so many opinions and so many concerns on either side. So I'm not even going to get into this too much, but folks, let me just say this. There are folks that are following certain prescribed um, medications and things that are almost being mandated on us today. And good, godly people who say these need to take place and these medications, this this needs to be done. And in their conscience, they are adamant about that. There's the other side where people hear... Um, Things that are being mandated and have concerns, and good, godly people who love the Lord and are following the direction of the Spirit that say, No, I I don't want to follow that particular medication, that particular diagnosis. There are other possibilities for me, and I'm going to pursue those. And there are good people on both sides of this issue that are very strong on this to the point where that's why we've said we're not going to bring it up anymore. But it is an issue that you won't find in scripture. And I've seen even in some social media posts, them talking about, would Jesus get the vaccine? Well, folks, there's not one verse you're going to find in scripture that's going to help you with that. It's not there. We have to, in all these issues, pray, Lord, in my conscience, how can I best honor you and follow that? So we must be fully convinced that we are honoring God. And another aspect of this, then, as we continue verses 7 through 12, we must realize we are fully accountable to God. And our lives are the Lord's and not our own. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. And Folks, here is the central thing to this whole argument. Thank you for sticking with me this long. This is so important. Paul makes it clear here. Our lives are not to do with what we want. We don't have this, this idea of Christian liberty is so misused. Christian liberty, I have to please myself to do whatever I think is appropriate. That is not what God's word says. We don't have Christian liberty to please ourselves. Our Christian liberty is given to us to please Jesus Christ. And that is so important. The old You probably remember this, the old Frank Sinatra song. I did it my way and has no credence with Jesus Christ. It's a fallacy to think that how we live our lives, by the way, has no effect on anyone else. Doesn't Scripture say we are bought with a price? We're not our own anymore. So, verse 7, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. Don't buy into the world's um, platitudes that whatever you want to do, you're okay to do. That's not what Paul is saying here. How we live our lives, it's not true that it doesn't have any effect on anyone else. But everything a follower does is for the Lord, whether living or even in his death, in her death. It's all for the Lord. And this points here as well to God's sovereign control of our times and seasons, folks, We can't live autonomously from God. Doesn't Paul say in the book of Acts, in him we live and move and have our being? The world thinks it can do whatever it wants, but no person lives autonomously from God. He is the one that keeps us together. He is in sovereign control. And so we may hear this, and in our sinful struggle, we may say this question, well, why does Jesus get to have that much say in what i do why does jesus get to have that kind of control paul knew we were going to ask that that's what verse 9 says answers that for to this end christ died and lived again that he might be lord of the dead and the living what's the answer to that jesus died and rose again so that he would be lord over us folks he's earned the right he died and this this is described Pauls describing Jesus full control over his very life and death and his resurrection and all of this was the intent to be our lord he has earned the right to be lord over our conscience and our lives i was going to go further we're going to stop there tonight and i just want us to think on that the next few verses talks about how our lives will be accountable to god alone and that we will face Jesus one day and give an account of our consciences. And we will give an account in two ways that Paul describes here. We will give an account, first of all, for whether we judged other people's consciences in a wrong way. Whether we were spiteful, despised, or judged somebody else in a way that Paul says is not right. And the second way that that the Lord will keep us accountable, will ask for account from us, is did we obey, did we submit our conscience, our own personal conscience, to Jesus Christ? So, folks, as we leave today, those are the important questions. Are you wrongly judging or despising another person's conscience choice? That is wrong. Within that group of conscience decisions, But the other even more important thing is, is your conscience submitted to Jesus Christ? And everything that you and I do, have we asked him if it honors and pleases him? We don't get to do what we want to do. Our lives are to honor Christ. And we must, as Isaiah 45 says, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. We will give an account. And let's make sure we can do it with a heart of gladness that, and an ease of conscience, knowing that it's been submitted to Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for these truths. I hope I've been clear tonight. Hopefully it's been practical. Help us to continue to understand the importance of having a submitted conscience to you. Jesus, Jesus has the right from his death and resurrection, to be Lord of our conscience, to be Lord of our lives. So help us this week to look inward. Stop judging those around us and make sure, first of all, that we, our own conscience, is submitted to you in every aspect. And Father, we understand that that uh, will mean that some, that will lead some in a particular direction, and particular decisions, that it may not lead others. And that's fine. We need to be welcoming to each other, but help us to be willing to do that, to submit and then be willing, however the spirit leads our conscience, to be willing to follow, submitted to our Lord, be useful for him. Bow the knee before him and serve him well. Help us to do this with our conscience. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.